Okay, so uh, welcome back to BDSM Reimagine. I'm Mike, uh, known as Michael's Macro, uh, on Insta and various other social media. Uh, my main kink is uh, macrophilia, with lots of other kinks incorporated into it. Very good. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hi, Mike. Thanks for coming. Oh, no, thank All you right. for having me. I'm very, very honoured, honestly. So, as usual, what we're going to do is Mike today is going to tell us his fantasy. We're then going to spend some time getting to know Mike and a bit more about his kinks. And then at the end, we're going to come back to his fantasy and see it with the lens of symbolism and some of these ways that maybe we can make more sense of it with context. So over to you, Mike. Can you tell us your fantasy? Yeah, so uh, my fantasy uh, it essentially involves size difference. Uh, that size difference can be very normal, so a, a tall guy versus a short guy, um, but I'm more interested in a sort of a more fantastical size difference. So I have a specific fantasy where I, I shrink uh, slowly over time, adapting to life as a ever-increasingly tiny person, and in this specific fantasy, I'm meeting up with a friend sporadically, and he's really excited to watch my shrinking progress or regression. Um, so I like the idea that uh, while I shrink, my friend grows. In this specific fantasy, he grows by putting on weight. He's eating more and more as as I'm shrinking. Um, there's also reference to his appetite, his growing appetite, his growing belly, growing size. And finally, when I'm small enough, my friend confesses his desire to to eat me, to consume me. Uh, and I'm completely thrown, and uh, he takes my lack of a, a no as a yes, and he uh, very hastily swallows me down. Uh, so that's essentially the fantasy. Yeah, fantastic. Right. And I just want to say, with this fantasy, it's on your Instagram, and yes. you do do incredible graphics. One of the things which drew me to Instagram were your graphics. Now, before discovering macrophilia myself, I, I did come onto your your profile and the illustrations really caught my eye and it also caught my sexual attention and like it's definitely like my core kink is submission and trainers as, as everyone well knows by now <laughs> but this really spoke to me on some levels i had not really realized and i did actually find myself getting aroused a few times which kind of scared me because i was like this is a whole other level uh and one thing about microphilia is that and we can discuss this later on it's quite hard to live out the fantasy in, in real life where trainers I can just kind of go, get you know get on my knees and do my thing but this is a very hard fantasy to replicate or it might not be and that's something which a bit later on but it really did speak to sexual parts of me which yeah well done oh thank you very much that, that's um that, that really means a lot and you're, you're right it is it is a very fantastical fantasy it there's no real way and, and for me certainly there's no real world equivalence it, it is purely fantasy mm. i'm not really interested in many of the themes in the real world if that makes sense yeah. um i mean one of the fantasies i'm i connect with is war but i have no love of cannibalism or a real world version of that it is purely fantastical yeah and with the with the artwork especially i i just found a way of representing that in what i thought was a kind of a, a, a fun way because some of the subject matter is quite dark yeah but I, I i don't think of it as especially dark and i try to represent it in a way that i see it so i'm glad that i'm glad people uh connect to it that's really cool there is a darkness to it you're right the things are dark like when you look at it it's being stepped on it's being swallowed mm. chewed devoured but there is a playfulness that i find that mainly comes through the, the illustrations there is a playfulness about it which i can look at receive the the text or certain subtext and then move on to the next one without feeling the oh this is actually very um sinister and there's someone plotting i don't get that i can just sort of receive it and then move on to the next image and and then leave it when i need to so you've done very well with that i think that comes out in the, the type of colors you use the curves of the shapes the actual pictures themselves they're very cartoon-esque so i know i'm not going into a world that is so literal that we can live in, in this plane. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what I'm going for, honestly. Yeah. 
but I'm interested more in you and your your life story and what brought you to these pictures, really, and the, these places. Mike, tell us a bit about where this all started for you. Uh, so my kink journey starts as a, a little gay boy who didn't know he was gay. I mean, I was probably four or five years old. I didn't know what gay actually meant. But what I did know at the time was I just really liked guys' bellies, really, all kinds, um, dad bod, beer belly, beer barrel, whatever. The bigger, the better to a certain extent. But honestly, any any kind of size just fascinated me. What What is it, do you think, about bellies that fascinated you at that age? I really don't know, honestly. Um, it was just, just physically very appealing. It was just purely the the shape of them, that they just seemed appealing I, I really don't know why mm. but it, it was a fascination that just developed um it turned into a bit of an obsession I would say which I expressed at a really early age by by drawing um I used to just draw guys with big bellies or bellies of any size really and uh as as it went on as it progressed the fascination developed more fantastical layers as it grew can you say more about that yeah, so I, I wanted to be close to a belly. I, I wanted to be on a belly, imagining myself as a, a tiny person straddling a big guy's gut. I'd be very, I'd be held safely under his shirt, for example, as he just went about his day. But then it wasn't really enough to be on a belly. I wanted to be in a belly, if that makes sense. I wanted to be consumed by a guy, to be a part of him and specifically become a part of his belly. That just I love that idea. I thought about ways that that could be possible. I mean, you know, a guy couldn't just swallow me down, which is what I really wanted. Uh, mm. And even though this was in a fantasy context, I still needed that edge of realism. I wanted it to feel real. I wanted some sort of internal logic that made sense to me. So I thought, well, what, what if what if I were to shrink? What if I would be small enough for a guy to swallow me whole? I mean, that's no more real than uh, just being sort of solid hole at full size, but it just felt more real to me somehow and a lot more exciting. And yeah. Do you have a very a specific memory of the first time you were attracted to a belly? Was it in a classroom? Was it in, in you know, cousins, neighbours, family, friends? Definitely friends. Definitely friends. Um, I mean, I was very very private about the whole uh, fantasy aspect of it. But I do remember once as a young kid, I had a sleepover with my friend. He had a bit of a belly. And I remember saying to him, like asking him, oh, you won't eat me, will you? As, as a sort of a throwaway comment, um, as if by, I guess, expressing that it meant it might actually happen. You know, it was a possible thing. I was like, just speaking it into the world. And he he humoured me. Uh, he actually promised, oh, yeah, no, no, I won't do that. You know, I promise. Thank you. And that was just, yeah, amazing for me at the time. That was the one and only expression of it with another person uh, at that point. I do remember another time a friend was troubled by his weight. Um, we were still very young. And I just suggested that his weight was perfectly fine. You know, he looked great. Don't be ashamed of it kind of thing. And I don't really know what happened. But one one thing led to another. We were sort of wrestling and he was holding me down. I just remember thinking, wow, you know, this big guy is holding me down. I'm sort of powerless to do anything about it. And I was just perfectly happy to do nothing about it to be honest mm. can i ask i'm just wondering about people around you while you were growing up like your parents or aunts uncles did you have people around you who had big bellies or was there not many people with or where, where did you see yeah I guess, there's no one really um apart from a couple of friends um i wasn't especially exposed to people with big bellies it wasn't a big part of my upbringing my parents were slim i was i was slim so yeah, I don't know where that part of it came from. Hmm. So there was just this fascination with big bellies when you're very little. You're drawing yes. them. Yes. And it seems like your belly is the focus because it's, as I'm hearing you, if I'm hearing you saying that it then became that you were shrunken down so you could be in the belly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's that was the focal point. And that's, even now, that's still very much central to the fantasy. Can you say more about that? I, I guess if I talk you through a bit more about sort of how it developed, would that be okay? Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, so I guess I would I would draw ever more complex scenarios featuring big guys with big appetites and uh, big bellies to show for it. You know, they would chase down 
tiny guys to consume them. Sometimes it was consensual, other times less so, not that I understood that then. And it moved away from being purely about consumption. I was interested in size being used to intimidate, to menace, to frighten, even to uh, destroy, but also in more gentle ways, loving and passionate ways and two guys just interacting. And I thought about Giant's Feet for the first time and how that might form a part of the fantasy. And that continued for years. Sometimes I would draw a lot, sometimes hard anything at all. Sometimes real life inspiration would, would seep in, like the situations I've mentioned with some friends. I, I do remember one time I was a bit older. I was out on a paper round and I just came across these two guys. They were sort of big rugby player kind of guys and they were fighting more like play fighting wrestling or something but they were pulling at each other and they pulled up their shirts and revealed their stomachs and, and they fell on the floor they're rolling around it was very uh, very inspiring and i immediately i just went straight home and i started to draw scenes featuring these guys fighting one another as uh, as giants within my fantasy and falling about and causing mayhem and destruction and i guess that became a bit of a pattern really uh, seeing macrophilia fantasies in everyday encounters but eventually I, well, eventually got the internet. You know, I'm talking old school modem with all the retro sound effects. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I searched for, what I put into Ask Jeeves at the time, but I came across a website. I want to say Vorplay or, or some precursor to it. And suddenly there were these people, hundreds of people who, who shared my fantasy, sometimes my exact fantasy. It was really exciting, quite, quite um quite eye-opening and kind of humbling really i guess i just assumed that i was the only one on the planet with these feelings which never really bothered me i didn't really think about it but it was strangely validating to see other people feeling the same way so i learned about well i learned what macrophilia was i learned what raw was i learned about foot fetishes and belly fetishes and how these different things could be intertwined how old were you at this point at what stage were you so teenage I don't know if I was a young teenage or old teenage, but definitely definitely teenage, not 100% sure. And it was at this stage then that you were able to see there was a community of people who had, as you say, sometimes the exact same kink or fantasy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was so surprised. I thought, I, I suppose I thought maybe I'd find somebody who had a similar kind of interest, but to see my exact fantasies reflected back at me, it was uh, it was amazing. So I'm just wondering, for me, I'm I'm curious about what it symbolises to you that there's someone who's got a big belly. What You've mentioned some things about it, like people will be eating to get a bigger belly. And what what is that? What's that? Pro, it sounds like there's a lot of process in your fantasies. Like you are increasingly getting to a point where you're you're shrinking. They're increasingly like there's there's time going by where this thing is happening. Yeah, I mean that—that's a specific fantasy that, that I've—I guess I've always had, and I've sort of developed it over time, adding, adding different bits to the story, I suppose. But I do have lots of fantasies. Some of them are much, are much quicker because it's not just me shrinking. It's also about the guy growing potentially. So it could be a guy who grows really tall into a big towering giant. Sometimes the belly barely features you know that's barely important sometimes it's more about just the sheer power that this guy has you know the mm. big feet smashing down or yeah it's, it's about the intention it's about the, the the willingness to to do damage to cause harm to intimidate the belly aspect for me i think bizarrely enough is more of a romanticism it's like this idea that i could become a part of that i think it's a, it's a feature that i like on a guy it's like wow i could become a part of that feature of that guy it's interesting how it's not it is becoming a part of but also surrendering to that feature you know because that because the belly is still in power once you're digested and inside so it's not yeah it is part of but it's much more of a surrendering too i was saying to indy before this that the belly in chinese tradition or asian tradition is is highly uh, glorified as a sign of wealth and prestige. And the Buddha in Chinese iconography is always positioned as a fat, laughing man with a big belly, because that's that that's prosperity. That's that's what you think as if this person is large, 
or with the big belly. It's, it's always the belly which was amplified. Then that's what it that's what it means to be as powerful. And I think that there's crossover in our in our psychology with that 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 idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you I think you're right. I think that is part of the symbology for me. Um, it, I think it does denote power, and and I guess the, the macrophilia side of it is is a way of exaggerating that is building upon that mm. increasing the size difference between myself and and the larger person and that's if i put myself into the fantasy at all i don't i don't always sometimes i'm more of a passive observer or a, a, a innocent bystander um yeah. just witnessing these things going on but uh, generally i put myself into the fantasy um this question can't leave me i don't know why but the first person that that friend of yours who you sort of joked about what did he represent to you? Was he like popular? Was he just a, a friend you saw as an equal? Did he have any symbolic value when you look back in your life? Uh, which friend? The, the the one I actually opened up to briefly. That... Yeah, you said, "Oh, you're not going to eat me, are you?" Is it a passing comment? Sure. <laughs> uh, sure. He no, he was just a friend, a good, a very good friend, very close friend. Okay. Um, but I think he just fit the bill. Uh, physically he just he just looked the part yeah yeah (laughs) can you tell us more about i was interested in what you were just saying there about the perspectives you take so you're often in the fantasy sometimes you're observing when you're in it what does it mean for you that you're so small and and you've got someone who's so much larger and powerful what position does that put you in that's a really good question um i think for me it is I, i suppose so much of kink is about power play um but i think for me it's just i am powerless to do anything to to protect myself from this larger guy who can do whatever he likes with me and, and that's just so so enticing and exciting sort of um to be honest almost nothing really needs to happen within the fantasy it, it can just be the possibility of something happening maybe the the, the potential for it to happen Mm. Um, and so can I understand that there, that you're saying that it's the possibility that something sexual will happen with this person where they can do anything at all and you're powerless to stop it? Yeah. But not just yeah. sexual. It's, it could be destructive. It could be swallowed by accident. And accidental, I think, is, is more what I see in your illustrations. It's kind of, oh, accidentally, I'm just going to step in this building and kill many tinies and I'll just keep walking. Yeah, absolutely. It's that it's that casual uh, approach to it. Really, really fascinates me. There's often some willingness uh, and intention there, but it's it's so inconsequential. The the the, the tinies, um, the, the small people around, they don't matter. They're just they happen to be there, uh, and a giant is walking by, comes across a group of tinies, and thinks, "Oh, okay, walking snacks," kind of thing. Mm. Or like you say, they just smash through a building and the, the damage is inconsequential. Really. Mm. It's it's not even a thought for the giant. No, exactly. I, I mean, in a way. I, I depict a lot of different scenarios and sometimes it is much more direct, much more mm. intentional. But I, I do find that to be a little bit darker somehow. And so I tend to shy away from that. It is more... Mm. The, the the giants I, I represent they tend to have a more blasé attitude because there's yeah in some images there's, there's a manipulation going on and that's I can see how you feel that that's much more of a darker psyche maybe coming up to the surface and therefore um, which mm. is it's still valid but I can see I can see that there's definitely different ways that the giants are interacting and vice versa with the tinies be it playful anecdotal accidental or more sinister i'm interested before we kind of deep dive into this fantasy a bit more i'm interested in how you've come to terms with your own this fantasy how it's played out in relationships you may have been in if you've spoken about it if you've kind of withheld it or has it been like a new development where you've spoken about it a lot sure so i mean like like i say i I found this website i found other people who who shared my fantasy but for the longest time i just lurked you know i was just lurking in the corner i'm just appreciating other people's work i did quietly produce my own work i tried photo montaging um, which added a certain realism to me i started writing short stories i put a lot into the work as if i was going to share it but never actually did 
with the writing especially I, I fell quite deep into the fantasy exploring motivations of, of the tiny versus the giants or the prey versus the pred mm. I wrote very real world scenarios but incorporating a macro fantasy into it again I put myself into the story uh, in a way that I didn't so much when I was drawing it but then college came along um, I focused less on macrophilia I guess but the fantasy was always there at that time I was wrestling with being gay and refusing to acknowledge it you know I had plans to live in the closet forever so that was quite bleak mm. um, but then I went to uni and I was essentially forced out of the closet which I'm for, forever grateful for so I started to explore my sexuality but it was all very very vanilla um, and just uh, ordinary sex mm. I did actually meet up with a couple of people that I met online to discuss the kink uh, and it was really fun but we didn't actually discuss it in person bizarrely we just met up and had a chat and that was it wow but uh, fast forward to uh, 2019 I'm happily married uh, to a wonderful man um, we have good sex it's still vanilla at this point but it's good you know in 2019 we uh, we'd quit our jobs and we'd been traveling and we we bought a yurt, uh, which is a sort of big glorified tent, and we lived off grid in the middle of nowhere for like a year or so, and it, it was amazing. But then the, the pandemic hit, so we were we were already quite isolated, and then we got like further isolated by the pandemic, and we just read a lot, and we we read about sex and and like the history of sex and and how that can be expressed, and my my husband just asked one day, do, do you have a kink? Uh, so, I mean, bear in mind, we were in like a woodland clearing, middle of nowhere. I didn't want to scare my husband off, you know, in this sort of place. But I just sat there thinking in silence. And, you know, that silence stretched out and it became very clear that, yes, I do have a kink. <laughs> um, so I took a deep breath and I explained it as rationally as I could. Um, and he was wonderful. Mm. We explored ways that we could role play the fantasies, which I'd never done with anyone. Uh, except online and yeah it was just the best honestly um mm. yeah he really got into it despite not sharing the fantasy at all and and opened the door to to trying new things together within and without the fantasy um and and he was the one who encouraged me to put my work out there as well put my art out there oh. well let's a little clap to this this man yeah oh yeah no, he he, he yeah. deserves it yeah no, he's awesome does he have a kink can i ask it was like might, might be a bit too much I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, well, he uh, since since having this discussion and this experience, he's definitely explored kink much more, and we are still exploring what he likes and doesn't like. And uh, yeah, we're both, we're both exploring that. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So it's it's that's, that's quite a nice little. It's very encouraging for people who might be feeling because it is a hard one to reenact. You know, there's no physical object. Well, the belly is one, but even then, it's you know, it's quite hard to do that. Well, well, yeah, and you know, my my husband went when when I first met him when we started dating. He was, I mean, he was tall. He's like six foot plus, so that I guess worked well within the fantasy. But, um, not that that was a factor in uh, mm. uh, choosing him or meeting him or anything. But uh, he was slim. You know, there was no real that the belly wasn't wasn't there so i didn't sort of fantasize about him in that way i suppose but but yeah there's, there's definitely ways that, that that you can enact it i suppose just just really simple things like being on the floor with, with your partner towering over you i mean that that's just amazing yeah and him like threatening to stand stamp on you or mm. whatever any anything that he can you, you're just embodying that tiny role and, and he can do anything he wants with you and it, it is all fantasy but Sometimes just having that sort of visual element to it is uh, is all you need. There's a person I've met up with one or two times who's into macrophilia, and there's an idea he's talking about where it's called shrinking. I don't know if this is with a dollar sign. And the idea is he the idea the fantasy goes that the giant will is is a manipulate manipulative element to this, and the giant will eventually take things from the tiny so that they get smaller and smaller over time to the point where they have nothing else in their life and that they have to become enslaved by the giant and then used however they want to be. And so they, they remain this 
they remain small metaphorically and literally, but small metaphorically because they have nothing else left and they're just kind of giving themselves up to this greater giant. Is that play does that resonate with you in some ways? Oh definitely, yeah, absolutely. That 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 fantasy definitely speaks to me. It's not what I've thought about before, really. Um but yeah, absolutely I, that, that 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 hits all my buttons, certainly. Yeah, that's a great fantasy. What's great about it? Uh it's it's just um I I, I love a uh creative approach um to the to the use of size and, and power and that's just a way I hadn't really thought about it before. For, for me it's 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 really my fantasies are all about the size specifically. So so incorporating that where you're taking aspects of the person's life away, uh, that's that's a, a really interesting uh, approach I hadn't really thought about before. Mm. Also they would be giving once all the clothes were given as well, they're helpless and then they would give them like a, a pink dress to wear and they have to wear the dress and that then the I was going to say bullies, which I find quite funny, but the giants would be then be laughing at that, ha ha, tiny. You have to wear this dress now. That's all going to give you, ha ha. Yeah, a- and it, yeah. it's, I, um, yeah, I just love the, the idea. Again, it's just about being being powerless, and uh, these these giants, they can just do anything, anything to you. Um, that's, that sounds, yeah, that sounds amazing. There's a lot of talk in the in fantasies about living between toes, living in the shoes, and not being noticed but just kind of living there and then is that what's what can you say about that that's that's not a fantasy specifically for me but i do i i do see a lot in it that i like again i i love the idea of being so small that you're exploring this giant landscape um and and shoes are a part of that and um you know it, it is it is demeaning to uh, to be put into a shoe or or a sock or between some toes, you know, a giant saying, "This is your home now. This is your life now." That's um, that mm. that is quite um, that is quite appealing to me, certainly. Yeah, I think that's crossover as well. People have more of a foot fetish; they have a tendency to go that way. People who are into humiliation wants to be dressed up in a certain way because they have to. So, I think there's lots of crossover with other kinds of kinks and interests. Like you say, there, there are lots of kinks that come into macrophilia. Like for for me. Macrophilia is like the overarching fantasy, I suppose, because it allows for this uh, vor fantasy to, to, to be consumed, but it also incorporates the, the foot fetish side of it. So you're seeing this big foot towering over you. And there are other links. I mean, quite a lot of furry content that comes along with macrophilia that doesn't really appeal to me in any way, but it, it, I, I can see the appeal there. So. Mm. Oh, something I'm wondering about is with macrophilia, you can think of a giant man or a giant woman or a they. So when I'm thinking about a giant woman, I'm thinking it amplifies some of the qualities that you have of the archetype of the female. And those things might be, you know, maternal or really fertile, whatever. those kind. So with a particularly big man, what is it amplifying for you? What are the qualities that you like being amplified? Well, that, that's interesting, actually. I've um, I've not had much negative criticism um, for my art, but but one one negative comment was that all the guys that I draw are not masculine enough. They're not manly enough. They're not. Mm. They don't fit this. I mean, there's only one guy, but they didn't fit this one guy's fantasy of what a man is. You know. I'm still not quite sure what he wanted that I wasn't uh, fulfilling. Not that that was my goal anyway. But I, that the men that I like are not especially masculine. I'll often draw a guy with a beard or stubble or something, and they might be, they might be muscular. They might be, well, they're all larger than life. Um, mm. But in terms of their personalities, they're not especially alpha. They're not. They're not stereotypically masculine, really. Certainly, there there is a lot of that within the community. Um, you get big, burly, weightlifting, bodybuilding guys who who really um, take on that giant role, and and that is hot, definitely. But that's not really what I'm especially drawn to. So you're saying you're more drawn to the unassuming, the benign, the the everyday, the I, casual, 
the everyday yeah the everyday yeah. the 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 guy the guy that you have a crush on in the office the guy that you that you're friends with and meet up yeah i just just mm. yeah I, I think that goes back to me trying to make the fantasy as real as possible i, I incorporate real people into it um i, I feel like i add too many i don't know fantastical element, elements all at once it sort of dilutes it too much um yeah so I don't really incorporate celebrities or yeah, famous people in, into the fantasy. They're, they're, they're real people. I think it's a celebration of masculinity because the pictures you do have, there's a big variety. There's like older men with like gray beards. There's guys who just look like every Joe Blow. And that's kind of, you know, the guy, a guy sitting on the, on the cat on the sofa with like his jeans unbuttoned a bit. It's just this kind of lazy, Bob, I don't know, Bob, sorry, funny Bob's out there, lazy Joe, like just lazy guys sitting, un- uncaring, just eating, consuming, digesting, just doing what you'd think slobs in a sense would do, but not beautiful six-pack pecs, just like slobbish. Slobbish is very critical. Uh, there's, I don't want to go too down that road. That's the kind of road it is. It's any kind of guy that just does whatever he wants, you know? And he doesn't even have to look good because he's just so in his own power or his own headspace, his own, this is my world, I'll do what I want, I don't care what you think about me. You know, in fact, if you do care what you think about me, I'll consume you, I'll eat you. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, these guys are often guys that I'm attracted to, you know, that they do have a certain physical beauty to them, but that's essentially irrelevant to the fantasy. I think the beauty is psychological. It's the uncaring, the unwaned by life. It's I'm larger than life and kind of bigger than life. It's there's an arrogance about it potentially. I think that's the it's a psychological beauty rather than the physical. Yeah, I think the the arrogance is a really good point. It's it's sort of a, a, an uncaring approach. Nothing else is really important. Anything else around them is is a fair game, um, mm-hmm. or, or even less than that. Sort of so inconsequential that they just just happen to be in the way. You know, the foot's going down where it's going down. And if there are people there, then oh well. Yeah. You should do art where there's like fit guys working out and then, they, then being crushed by that. <laughs> now I'm getting a talk. Yeah. <laughs> I but love this, that idea. This takes me to the next part, which is we've, we've spoken a lot about the tiny. And I wonder, guys who enjoy being the giant, the macro, I wonder the, the per, what's going on with them and what they would be getting out of stepping on and and manipulating or just accidentally destroying. Have you had any thought? I, I got some ideas, but have you got any thoughts about that? Well, uh, I mean, probably picking up that I'm purely the, the tiny, the the uh, the prey in in almost all of these fantasies. But whenever I'm writing uh, a short story or something, I always try and get into the head of the giant, and sometimes I tell the story from the giant's perspective. In terms of motivation. I always try and have a justification for it. I think, well, why, why would someone do this? Um, you know, because I, I, I'm trying to depict quote unquote nice guys. So what makes a nice guy mm. go and do these awful things to people? And, and yeah, I struggle with that because obviously he wouldn't. So I have to, I have to invent reasons. I, I had a story where a guy becomes a giant because their friend gives them a pill that makes them a giant. It, it gives them this, uh, insane appetite that they um they can't quite fulfill and so they're just eating constantly and they just grow huge Mm. and it's that it's that need to eat to consume and as they grow bigger and bigger that the smaller people around them become less consequential and so that line between friend versus food is uh is is blurred and uh and that person you know once they start eating just one person for example it becomes a they, they get a taste for it. They they need it, um, and that that develops um, more and more as they grow more and more, and the people around them are are ever smaller. But I've had, you know, I, I've had guys who who consider themselves to be giants and 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 preds or whatever that they've actually asked to um, for me to insert them into into the artwork. Mm-hmm. So I, I have spoken with a few guys about about, about what motivates them. And it's it often it is sort of the fantasy in just in reverse. They they just want to be 
I mean, some guys are not that to them. They're not preds. They're just normal guys, maybe shorter than average. I don't know. But in the fantasy, they're big, towering giants. And I can sort of mm. fulfill that for them within, within the context of the fantasy. Other guys just seem to embody that macro persona 24-7. You know, they are the, the alpha male. They are the, the big guy. They're Mm. And, and and the the fantasy just exaggerates that what's already there it's so funny because you're obviously doing this from a tiny psychology perspective and you're wanting to in your stories rescue and give a reason why the giant has to do what he has to do it's like okay you've given a pill so it's not your fault giant that you're this menacing or it's you're you're just who you are it's not your fault so that that element of wanting to rescue and protect the giant which is so funny because in these worlds all the tinies seem to be a bit oblivious or naive or uh, daft might be too strong but you know people around them are being eaten and they're just kind of hanging around still looking at the giant being oh okay it's like they're not taking the gravity of what's happening until the worst happens and even when they're in the stomach they're like they're in panic, but it doesn't. It just seems to be okay in a sense. Like this is happening. It's just. It's a very interesting observation. Yeah. No, I hadn't. I hadn't really thought about that. But that's that's true. I I, I guess that's me putting myself into the fantasy and um, thinking, what would I do in this situation? Because obviously, I would be, I, I would be enthralled by it. I guess I I, mm. I I wouldn't know what to do. I, I would want to save myself, of course, and I would probably. Um, try to escape well, I would try to escape but um it's uh I, I guess I try to depict people who are sort of dumbfounded they're like just frozen in awe or fear or something yeah that's an interesting point a good observation India I was thinking this with dominance and you as a dominant might say something but I wonder if and this happens across every kink with domination submission I wonder if the giant or the dominant in this situation, the, the person who's having these fantasies, if the person recognizes that they actually have these more sin sinister feelings and impulses of wanting to destroy and push out of this repressed emotional world we live in, no, you can't feel that, you can't think that, that's not right, you can't do that to someone. And I wonder if the person who wants to be the macro is in fantasy, living out those repulsed feelings whilst at the same time endlessly being loved and adored by the person they're doing it to, which is the tiny. So it's a safe place for them to, to enact their impulsive, aggressive thoughts whilst still being loved. Well, that could be an angle, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. It's like the safest the sadist dom who might do the kinds of, I know, you know, some of the things I've done with subs where I'm inflicting physical pain, but I know that they're consenting to that. So then it's all okay, you know. But there is a part of me that wants to do that physical pain, so I'm just using that same premise mm. but from a different angle. So, yeah, as a dominant, you have to psychologically protect yourself from your scary side. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's and the fact that the tinies it. are still in, still adoring is that is that psychological protection that oh i can have these horrible feelings yet still be accepted that's what they're trying to do in their fantasy when you're saying accepted it goes beyond that because you're being desired for so it's very safe that way it's not just oh yeah okay tick all right it's i want i desire that mm. and that's that endless devotion that the tinies do in like yeah, I've seen you eat my friend, but I'll still desire you. And the the macro, the giant, is that that's their psychological safety is to be desired, atlas, or because of their repressed impulses. Oh, I mean, this this carries across all fantasies and all most kinks with domination submission. Just wanted to say that. But so before we go into this fantasy a little bit, I just wanted to say the I was thinking about the ancient Greeks where um, Kronos eats his children. There's that. That is a is a is a big episode, and he does it out of fear because there's a prophecy that he'll be killed by his children. But what I'm trying to say with this is that these thoughts and fantasies have existed in our psyche for centuries, manifested in different ways. 
And also oh, oh. with the Greeks, it's also, it, there's a sexual element to it. It's the naked, the torso stretched, the muscles. It's this power of devouring. And I think that just is very interesting because that, it, it all, this 20th century fantasy, this is something which is, I mean, I don't think macrophilia was, was, was talking about, but the idea of devouring has been woven in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing original, I guess, to the fantasy. Um, and, and even my fantasy, I mean, it, it's, it, it comes as a result of seeing, seeing my fantasy on, on screen. I mean, like the, the borrowers or, or something like that, like TV shows when I was a kid, or even like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, you know, there's all sorts of uh, visuals you can drop from popular media to, to inspire your fantasy. So, Mike, we're coming near the end. And there's just a few things I want to pick up on the fantasy that you read at the start of the show. This word that you use here, that when you're small enough, your friend confesses his desire to eat me. And I think that that relates to what I was saying before, psychologically, where the, the macro has those feeling impulses and it's confesses. Is there a reason, is there a reason why you use that word? Is it similar to that or is there a different reason why you use that word? That's a really good question. I, I think it just comes from the fact that it would be a really hard thing to express to somebody that, that you have this fantasy, um, especially in the context of this specific fantasy, because uh, I'm depicting it as, as a real interaction between a big guy and, and a shrunken guy. So I mean, to, to, con- to confess that, to use that word mm. in a purely fantastical way would be quite difficult, but to confess it to a guy who is actually, you know, a, a few inches tall and could actually be eaten, I, I think would be really, really challenging for that guy to do. I think the idea that this guy wants to eat me in this scenario is just incredibly hot to me. It's just such a, uh, such a strong fantasy. Can you say what that symbolizes for you, that he would want to eat you? What does that mean symbolically? Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to answer that question, to be honest. For me, it's it's the, the the willingness to to do something terrible to cause harm is is very exciting. A willingness for that person to use their power, especially in this scenario where, you know, when when I wasn't drunk, when I was a normal size, that person had no power over me. But now suddenly I am much smaller, much more vulnerable. I can't really protect myself. If they want to do this to me, they they absolutely can, and there's not really much I can do to to save myself. Is that a safe place for you to be in intimacy, that there's someone who can just do whatever they want because I'm powerless? And it's, that, it's at this point where... Uh, I, wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say so. Um, I, I don't feel especially safe in that scenario, uh, and that's kind of what's exciting. It's sort of exhilarating that it's that thrill of the chase aspect, I suppose. Um, like maybe I would try to escape but, but, but fail to escape. I think it certainly started off that way when I was a kid. I, I think it was about having that kind of safe space, you know, like, like I said before, to be on a belly or something, just to be curled up and protected, I suppose, in that way. And and that is still appealing to me, certainly. So I don't know how clear I've made it, but not all my fantasies are dark and dangerous. That there there is that kind of love and affection to it as well. And so yes, I think I think to be to be held by a big giant, to be protected by a big giant is is absolutely appealing and, and that's very much part of the fantasy, but it's not what I'm drawn to. Mostly I am I am drawn to those fantasies where there is this intention to do harm. Even if no harm is actually done, there is that intention and that potential for it to happen. And I suppose even if you're being protected by this giant guy, that that may well change. That relationship may change over time. The guy who's protecting you could just as easily consume you. Mm. Sounds like a core or central piece is this potential for danger. Absolutely, yeah. Um, like, like I say, nothing really needs to happen. Just the potential mm. for it to happen is exhilarating. And, and some, sometimes it could be like a, a playful role play within the fantasy. So I'm a tiny guy, and this giant guy is is playing with me. He's not going to hurt me, but he. He might go through the motions, put me in his mouth or or put me on the floor and press his foot then onto me, but do it gently. That's that's very exciting too. I mean, I think there's just 
I, this always comes up and I, I kind of bang on it a lot, but there is a lot of religious crossover here. Like we didn't think up the gods to be, well, in the, in the Old Testament, if you're thinking with Christianity, but I always go back to the Greeks because they were quite uninhibited with their sexuality. And we didn't think the gods up to be this benevolent, kind beings. They were, they were Zeus was very well known to play tricks on the humans when he wanted to. He would ruffle and tumble them if he wanted to, but he would also protect them at times. I'm thinking more in the stories of Prometheus, when Prometheus makes humans out of clay. I'll go into that. But, you know, Zeus was comes out of our psychology, was a very unpredictable god. He would be loving, but at the same time destructive. But I'm getting this sense of a rite of passage uh, that we all kind of go through, which is wanting to belong to the great power, the giant, wanting to be infused with its power and having to go through the process of being you know chewed up and it might not even be like a sharp chew maybe not in particular fantasies but just like the kind of gummy bear kind of swollen played around with dissolved and that moment i think is what a lot of uh well it's spoken about in a lot of books with with boy psychologies from boys to men there's a moment where you have to go through pain or a surrendering of ego that's essentially the motive there it could be through pain or through initiation processes like markings and whatnot. But I wonder if there's a something there about going through that uh, initiation process to be part of the greater, the greater good, really, or the greater power beyond. And that moment of digestion, Mike, could be something about that that destruction of your ego, the identity to then belong to something greater and more powerful, however you see fit. Absolutely, yeah. I, I I like your your point about the sort of capricious nature of these gods who have have these uh, powers over us. And I definitely um, relate to that. But I think um, yeah, to, to to surrender yourself, to 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 let yourself go and to be part of someone else. That mm. that certainly um, where my fantasy. Well, the, that was the early days of my fantasy. Certainly, mm. um, yeah. It, it didn't feel safe as such. It just felt like uh i suppose it was freeing yeah but also yeah it, it, it was about becoming a part of of that person and i even had fantasies where i would still be somewhat alive within that person if that makes sense still have some kind of consciousness and some awareness of, of what i now was i do tend towards a sort of harsher reality of just being digested and forgotten essentially but yeah, it, it, it is it is transformative. It is it, it is a fantasy of being transformed from one thing to another thing. And it also um, looks like you're serving a purpose because in your fantasy you're gradually getting more tiny as he's eating and getting an increased appetite and he's growing. Mm. And it gets to a point where you become that food to continue his progression into that giant form so you're yes. serving perfect for him ultimately yes absolutely yes yeah. i mean that that is that is a kind of another fantasy of mine is that uh, a, a guy will eat lots of tiny people and those people on mass will cause that guy to gain weight you know um, that, that that is a fantasy of mine and i mean with the fantasy we're, we're discussing um where the guy just puts on weight because he's eating so much i mean for me that sort of represents a guy who wants to eat me but can't, and so he's eating lots of other things instead. Uh, and, and yeah, as a byproduct of that, he is putting on weight. But then, obviously, we get to a point where I'm small enough that he can eat me, and, and uh, he uh, confesses his desire to do so. And that you're in some way special because this whole time I've been eating food because I've had to as a compensation. Yet now that you've you've shrunk you're kind of like the chosen one I'm going to eat and you are going to, you are going to belong to me. And I've always wanted that, but now, now I can say it because you're powerless to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's that kind of, the, the desire is so powerful that it, it breaks through bonds of, of friendship that the, you know, the person is, is dehumanized. They become an object of desire uh, above anything else. And again, there's that casualness to it that just, oh, I really want to do it. And I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And, and he, he swallows me. And then his instant, what, what he does next is orders some more ice cream. You know, yeah. it's like on, on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. 
And that might be a nice place to end. Thank you so much, Mike. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been it's been so fascinating to uh to compile all my thoughts because I, I haven't really thought about it for a very long time. Um so and uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's been an honor. We really appreciate you coming on. And like what you've said, I like what you've said when you said that your fantasies have evolved. And the next time we speak to you or we get in contact, I'm sure your fantasies will have evolved even more, which I, I really like that you're being very open with that because some people might think it's it stays in one thing. If you would like to reach Mike or you'd like to see his art, then he's got a link on his Instagram profile to DeviantArt and other places. His handle is Michael's Macro, all one word. Check it out. It's really good. Okay, thank you for thank you for having me both. Uh, thank you for listening, uh, those who are listening. And if you have liked what you've heard, uh, please uh, please rate the podcast. Please feedback. Thanks again, Mike, and take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. I thought it was yeah. just interesting there the connection with like I wonder if if it was going back into the womb of the mother and that regression to use that word lightly to go back into that place of security and warmth but also belonging somehow intrinsically to the person who who holds you but for some reason the mother was not for some reason but the, the yeah the mother was this tyrant bully male bullyesque male archetype well, I guess what I'm wondering about is the amplification, right? So he was talking about a regular kind of guy. What's the symbolism of amplifying this regular guy into something so huge and him so small? What was he being small? What's that mean about him and his masculinity and symbolise about that relationship then? You know, like I've got these questions. What does that mean? Because... Well, it, what does it say about any tiny? What does it say about any tiny that they feel unable to generate that much masculinity? And the 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 image of the giant and tiny is so literal. It's not a me- it is a metaphor, but what, how it's illustrated is so literal. I am literally tiny, and I can't do anything towards this giant beast you can see it you don't even need to know the context you can actually just see it it's visual i think that that's a big expression of domination and submission so mm. me as a submissive i you know increasingly becoming dominant that's another story but me when i'm submissive i feel powerless and i could never get to that level of mas- masculinity so in, in a sense i feel small compared to it but i never my fantasy doesn't go extend to the micro macro. My fantasy goes into humiliation and more um, domestic, you know, bullied, verbal, aggressive. It's more lateral, mm. not not linear. And more linear, not whatever it is. Yeah, because I think part of what we're saying is that DS seems to be the very clear form where it's the dominant and the submissive. And these other kinks, like we're starting to find out with macrophilia, it's a particular expression of that dynamic playing out. Yeah. In this way. Yeah. And at the centre of, well, one of the centres of DS is is power. And so it's a worship of power because much of that time in the interview, worshipping the power he has, the ability he has to either destroy or create, creates my own words, but destroy or play with life. So there is that power aspect that that DS really centers around. But, you know, there's the, I want to say there has to be something deeper than that, but I don't know if there is. Well, like Are we that simple? About... <laughs> <laughs> I like what you're saying about life. Maybe that's what this is all about, is macrophilia. It is about the ways in which we can engage with being alive, that you've got this potential for anything can happen. So that was the big core thing is that there's some danger that could happen. It doesn't even mm. have to happen. And life's uncertainties that there's, we're going to die at some point, Doesn't don't know mm. when. And the thrill of, not thrill of death, but the thrill. I mean, maybe 
there is the thrill of death because everyone's yeah. obsessed with murder mysteries and what are they called now? Um, Game of Thrones and stuff like that. So we have this yeah. obsession as humans with the, the ultimate mystery. Yeah. And it's satisfying to see it play out. Like it, it's satisfying when you know what's about to happen in a way. Like if um, like people who have an illness, they don't know what it is and they, they get the diagnosis and there's like a, oh, yes, okay, this is what it is. And for the macro to be, to say, oh, actually, I want to eat you, it's kind of like life saying, yes, you will be destroyed now. And you kind of like, what? Oh, no. But you kind of are in awe of that potential of someone saying, there is now a decision being made about your life and it's going to happen. There's that that surrender to, there is a, a fate. And the tiny is possibly symbolic of humanity against the universe. Don't you think? We're this irrelevant speck of dirtball spinning in space. Mm, yeah. There's a sun, but there's, what, five billion trillion suns? Whatever. You're just a nothingness. <laughs> we ultimately have, as part of our consciousness, in this age, and maybe with the Greeks, of course, they saw the stars in the sky, you know, and whatever they might have made of it. But this is actually getting to the deep, the deep recesses of the human psyche around life in relation to the to the universe. Mm. When he when he was talking, I was thinking the greatest expression of this is for man in plural sense, man, woman, they, for man to be reunited with the universe. That, that's what I was thinking. They, they want to go back into the stars and the galaxy because when they're digested, they get absorbed in the, in the blood system, in the, circuit, in the circuitry, in the organs. And that, I think, is a, a physical way of seeing the, the that whole and that's what we want to do we want to reunite with the stars the great powers that can decide our fate can kill us at any moment or give us life and greatness <laughs> and he said he said that in some of his fantasies he tries to find ways to be consumed and yet still conscious in some way yes yeah, yeah. so it's that, that theme of to be dead but still somehow regain your mm. sense of awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's happening in this greater process. But the idea that the giant is can, then moves on, because this is a common theme, that the giant will accidentally or purposely destroy you and then be careless and ignore you and just keep going on. I think there's a knowledge there, a wisdom that we have the universe actually doesn't care about you, you know, that you want to be special for that moment. You want to be, you know, that's our ego. We want to be special and seen, but we also wisely know that the universe doesn't choose. It doesn't discriminate what it decides to destroy and not. And all holes and we get sucked in. And so there's, the, <laughs> you're right. We're, we're telling the creation story <laughs> through macro and micro. <laughs> It's the creation And that's what's going on in the DS dynamic and what we were doing in season two, where we're talking about in the DS dynamic that whole idea of the greater good and that the submissive ultimately surrenders over to this greater power, taking it forward, that surrender then brings that sub into the ether of the universe. Mm. It plays out on the deepest parts of our being and yeah. creation. The deepest understanding we have of the cycle of, of life in a very core level, that we're born, will die to probably an, in an unaware, unaware way to the universe. You know, there's a, there's a cycle there. I think there's, there's something there. So but. finally, for me, people wanting to be eaten by someone else actually makes sense. It's been a struggle to understand the leap for me. And here it is in this beautiful creative universe kind of form. 
and I think that's why I said at the start of the episode, I resonate strangely with this. I'm sexually a bit attracted to it because there's something familiar that I can see in his stories. It must link back to this, this idea of being absorbed by a greater power. And you know, when I'm in my submissive mindset, it is about going to the greater power. So I, I think I can, in his abstraction of, of DS, I can see those elements being played through. And he might not be, be even conscious of that. It's just what I pick up. It's my associations on it. But yeah. Mm. All right. Fantastic soiree into the macrophilia. Yes. Fantasy. All right. Uh, Have a good night, Indy, in Sydney. Sleep well. Yeah, I will. Thanks, everyone.